Welcome back, guys. And I'm excited to introduce our guest for today, but I'll let P give him a proper introduction. We we made an exception for our guests. We usually require them to to come down to just one letter to come on to this show, but we've given NVK all three of his letters. P, could you give him a proper introduction? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, he hardly needs an introduction. NVK has created I would say the most well-known hardware device in the Bitcoin space. He's created the cold card and many other products around it. But one of the things that I think is so interesting about NVK's approach is he is he always chooses security and effectiveness of the tool over the UX. He does an amazing job of combining them, but I'm really excited today to talk about how he makes those decisions and the thinking behind it. So NVK, welcome to the show. You are a huge part of the Bitcoin space. Get in here. Hey, man, it's been a while, dude. I know. Yeah, the, the the sweetest voice in the Bitcoin space. So yeah, thanks thanks for having me, guys. This this is. Uh, I hope we can we have a good chat. Yeah, I'm super excited. So, yeah, I mean, NDK, what would you um, what would you add to your story? I didn't I didn't give the full spectrum of who you are and what you're about. Do you want to do that for our audience, just so that everybody knows how fucking awesome you are? I, I mean. You know, I'm kind of irrelevant. <laughs> you know, we have a team of people and I was sort of, uh, because I was pre-doxed, I, I ended up just being the face of the company all the time. But uh, we are a very tiny team, but mighty. And uh, we've been we've been building hardware for Bitcoin for since, I think maybe, I think our first Bitcoin project was 2011. And then, and then I think 2012 was... Probably when we started like doing actual hardware, we built Coin HSMs back then. We uh, we built a Block Explorer back then. We did a lot of a lot of stuff. We maybe many people, uh, if they've been in the space for a while, they have had uh, CoinKite's debit cards. We used to have uh, payment machines and debit cards that function as an exchange as well. They were all over the world for a while. 2014 was a little too early for those. What else? I mean, you know, we had that. We had that, a web wallet for a long time. There was there was the back end for mini exchanges, even Bitmax, way way back then. Yeah, we we've been in this space for a while, and notably these days, everybody everybody seems to 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 be really into the the open dime, the block clock, the cold card. Our NFC cards are come and a pile more of stuff. We yeah, Wait, we just we just like building stuff. Did you just say biomorph? No, 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 no. A bunch <laughs> more of stuff. Okay, I was going to say, what the fuck does that mean? And I want one. Uh, you can get a Brazilian out of Brazil, but you can't get the accent out anymore. I love it. I love it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to like blow too much smoke up your ass, but I think you've gone through, you've been in the space for a significant amount of time. And as I, as I referenced earlier, I'd love to hear about sort of how you and your team make the design decisions that you do. Because do you think it's accurate to, was I accurate when I said that you guys choose security and kind of effectiveness of the tool over, you know, like UX, whenever those two things are in conflict, yeah. it's the other one, which is an yeah, unusual so, choice. So I, I think, I think there is a, a few things that, because most, most people who make products are not exposed to hardware development. They oftentimes, you know, they do it as a hobby with a kit that they take. And so they have to inherit the kits set of trade-offs. Very, very few companies in this space do the hardware from scratch, right? So that gives us a lot more room to 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 do the things the way we want. So that's why products have tend to to have a certain way of looking and being that are different than your standard sort of consumer electronics. And 
I, I think the main thing for us is we build products for ourselves primarily, right? It, it's like, is this the thing I want to use every day? That is that is the, the question we ask ourselves, and that's how we build the products, right? And And the products are built to be truly utilitarian, but we, we joke that they need to have a personality and at least one joke in them. So we don't ship something unless there is a joke in them too. That's just how we are. We're super utilitarian, sort of like we're not gamers. We're sort of like, you know, like we're not like, we're kind of weird people. And, but you know, we have a sense of humor <laughs> and, and the products have to have it. So, you know, like, the, is it the shape of the open dime? Is it the ECC calculator on cold card? You know, is it the, the Satoshi quotes on the block clock? Everything has to sort of like respect that sort of framework that we have for things. It's like, does it, does it accomplish that? Not just accomplish, does it thrive on that specific, that specific functionality that we intend the thing for, right? And, you know, some people know that some of us are amateur radio operators as well. So we like a lot of knobs and buttons that that translates into somehow products are. we we think that we should expose as much function and options and settings to the users we don't treat users like stupid people what we do though is we we find ways to prevent ourselves and our users from making mistakes right so cold card is essentially the only hardware wallet that like does a lot of checks you know, and say change outputs and a bunch of stuff so that you can't just easily get duped into something or you can't just easily make a mistake. We have sort of like sanity checks on everything. And and that's sort of like, and that's a security approach, right? Like it's like, it's very layered. So there is security, making sure users don't screw something up, even though they have a lot of options and features. We check also to make sure that, you know, addresses are right and all that stuff. We make sure that the the, the menus have an explanation of what is it, right? And and we don't try to hide Bitcoin from the users. We we want the users to understand what's going on because see, you could take the approach, say for example, Ledger, right? You know, fantastic team. I know those guys. They 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 care about what they do, but their approach is sort of like you know hide everything, right? But then the problem is their users go and they get a a a, a private message saying, "Hey, send me your seed. I'm here to help you," right? And they don't know what the seed is. They don't understand what's going on. So they go and they send the seed, right? So in every step of the way on how you set up your cold card, you can do it in like 30 seconds where you just plug it in and it generates a seed and boom, you have a wallet, right? Just like every other easy wallet out there. Or, you know, you can you can take it all the way to full-on tinfoil cypherpunk mode where, you know, you're checking the firmware, you're rebuilding, you're checking the components, you know, you're throwing dice, you're doing all this stuff, right? The open dime is the same, right? Like, we don't want you to trust us, so we ask you to dump a file in, so we use that file provably to generate the private key. And that's also very selfish, too. I just don't want to get kidnapped, right? <laughs> If I had a product that was fully trusted on us, we would be a point of capture and, and that wouldn't be very safe to us, right? So we, 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 we try to build things with this mindset where just being very pragmatic, utilitarian, and, and then try to create a product that we can manufacture in the scale that we do, which is, which is not small, but it's not like Samsung, right? I mean, we make products for Bitcoiners. 
and we're at the mercy of the Bitcoin market size. So we try to sort of like find this very, very fine balance on how can we do that? How can we deliver the most amount of value, right? Remaining a profitable company so we can build more stuff. And, and that truly influences on how the products are designed themselves, mm. right? It's like finding quality components, finding quality everything. Uh, you know, the plastic is not just plastic. It's like polycarbonate that's like clear. It costs more, but you know, like it's just, it has to be that way, right? So yeah, so, so like that, that's sort of like the give and take in the whole process, right? Like hardware is much more than just sort of like putting together some software into a chip. It's like, how do you design everything and everything fits and everything is a function of each other in both complexity and cost. And that's the fun, at least yeah. to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, actually one thing that I do want to take a moment to do is to define the, the terms we're using. So can you maybe take us through what an open dime is and how that is different from a hardware wallet and then kind of what, an, what a hardware wallet is and why it's important? Sure. In any order you want. Yeah. So, okay. So open dime is essentially a physical Bitcoin, right? Traditionally, back in the day, the only way to give somebody Bitcoin without them having a wallet was to print a paper wallet. The problem with that is if I give you a paper wallet, I can take the money back because I know the private key. So we spent years trying to figure out what can we do from like metal or whatever. And then what Open Dime became is this thing where neither party knows the private key. Provably. So, so then when you give it to somebody else, you know that they cannot do a charge back, right? They cannot spend you. So you unseal it, and then you can spend the coins that are in it, or you pass it along to the next person and the nth person, right? So, so that's what OpenDime is. It's like physical Bitcoin. It's a bare instrument. Which is really uh, novel. I mean, that's, It is. And, and yeah, I mean, when you say unseal it, it's literally you have to like stab a hole mm -hmm. through the, the, the board in order to unlock it. And uh, that was more because of personality. We could have done with software. But it wouldn't be as satisfying. And the very I, original one, you actually had to break a piece of the PCB. I don't know. I kind of love that, though, because, it, again, it, it's, it makes the entire process physical. So, like, you can it's literally mine. look. Yeah, you can look at an open dime and be like, is there a hole through this part of the device, you know? Right. And obviously, you want to verify the address and everything like that separately, plugging it into something. But I think that's, I don't know, it's a, it's a cool idea. Yeah, that's what Sats card product that's coming out is. is essentially the evolution of open dime. Open dime is still going to exist, but it, it's like cheaper and it's going to be nfc and it has 10 slots so you can have 10 keys in it and you can have art and all the good stuff right so so that's that's the fun on that sort of category of products we make the the bare instruments physical bitcoin and so this is the sats card correct yes so on the sats card is it basically there's 10 slots and then once you like you 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 know, deposit funds into those addresses and then you have to like unseal them. And once you've unsealed one of those 10 slots, it's like done and you only yes. got nine left. Yeah, and, you, and it will tell you that's been unsealed and, and you will rotate to the next one so that they can reuse it 10 times because there was room in the chip. So we're exposing that to the users. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's not limited to 10. It just rotates through. I mean, you can use the 10 at the same time, but yes, the, the okay. idea is that you can use more than once, right? So there's a bit, a bit less e-waste. Got it. Got it. I mean, as you mentioned, you made a reference to it. I think the only thing that I would have against something like that is that you, it would be much harder to shove something like a, a credit card form factor into one's rectum in order to like safely transport it across a border, which as I understand it is why the 
OpenDime has those rounded edges. I mean, that was really made for Jensef. He he was very unhappy with the with the square corners. I'm um, sure he tested it out many times before hey, giving you that product feedback. I, I, I did not ask for products back. So so yeah, so 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 then the card is like that, and we're gonna have some fun cards that are sort of like covert as well. One of them is, looks like a hotel key, and if you go to the address, it's like a, a hotel website. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun with that stuff. Oh, I fucking love that. Yeah. Got it. So got then. It. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so so feel free to continue on the thread that you were on. Or I was going to say, can you describe for the audience like what a hardware wallet is and why it's important when we're talking about Bitcoin? Yeah, so, so hardware wallets are essentially a means for you to store a key, sign a transaction outside of a computer. So back in the day, everybody used to get robbed all the time, right? We get computer hacked or accidental or whatever. And then hardware wallets came about, and then a lot of the, those issues started to fade because you were essentially separating the 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 signing and the key and the and the key storage from the computer, right? Because computers are these extremely general purpose devices that have a football field worth of attack surface, right? Computers were not designed to hold secrets. So, say for example, you copy a piece of text on your screen. Every program on your computer can see that clipboard, right? So it's an absolute disaster of, of complexity, right? There's millions and millions and millions and millions of lines of code running and, and like, you know, hundreds of thousands of processes running at the same time. It's very difficult. And even if you do make your computer secured, there's still like a ton of stuff, even if the most open source computer that you absolutely cannot open. Okay, like it, it, it is a total pipe dream to think you can make a computer secure. Now, if you're an extremely advanced user, you you have a chance, right? You, you can do some stuff to keep it that way. But realistically speaking, for most people, including people who are advanced, you, you know, you rather just offload all that to a device that purposely built very narrow build for Bitcoin, right? So, and hardware wallets are actually a misnomer. They should have been called signing devices, which I made a little website for, signingdevices.com, explains why. So a wallet is a piece of software that has uh, blockchain data information. It has the ledger, right? So Bitcoin Core, Electrum, whatever. So they go and they pick your transaction, your UTXOs, right? And then they build a transaction. Now, if they have a private key in them, they can sign it. If they don't, then they send it to the hardware wallet. So code card made PSBT is partially signed Bitcoin transaction standard, like widely used now. And it's essentially a file that you take into the hardware wallet, which is not connected to the internet, is not connected to anything, right? And the and the and the hardware wallet, the signing device, all it does is is like tells you on the screen, hey, do you really want to send this amount of Bitcoin to this address? And then you say yes or no. And then what it does is it creates a signature over that transaction. Right? And then you can take it back to the computer and send it out to the network to broadcast the transaction. So it really is like just a device to not shit where you eat. <laughs> That's a great way to say that. I'm totally stealing that. Your, your slogan should be, don't shit where you eat. Mm -hmm. 
use a, a signing device? Yeah, I mean, I think, so we talked about attack surface and you mentioned that it's, you know, trying to air gap one's computer is basically, it's not gonna happen, right? It's just not, not feasible. I also just wanna acknowledge, like you have so many domains that just redirect to random places. What is the one that's like, don't try to air gap your computer? No, it's, I think it's air gap computer or computers.com, I think. I, I, I lose the, uh... track of the domains. I love the CSS on that one. Yeah, so I mean, so you've got this this purpose-built device, a, a signing device that does one thing and does one thing very well. As you said, it basically lets you verify that you actually want to make a transaction. And then when you hit a button, it generates the the signed PSBT, which then can be rebroadcast to the network by yes. an external thing. That's right. And talk to me about the the design decisions that went into, you know, what has changed over the years when we go from, because there's been four versions of the cold card so far. And what's changed over the years? What what upgrades have been made? Why were those important? Yeah, and why is the the newest one kind of more secure than previous ones? Yeah, so so version one wasn't going to even have a case. We, we just made it because I was not happy with the hardware wallets that were in the market and we wanted one for ourselves. That, that was just that simple. Uh, and the touch buttons on that one were kind of problematic for most people in Europe. <laughs> somehow it was not doing well so then and and he was using the first first gen of that secure element and then version two had a a better secure element and clicky buttons and, and a few other sort of improvements you know just general sort of that's why we call it mk right so mark one mark two mark three is just like incremental improvements and then Mark III is it, it was a very big upgrade again newer secure element that there was uh, had some fixes which was kind of cool and we started supporting a lot more features as well right so we we speed up things a lot more security like a lot more security improvements on the on the duress pin what else there was just a lot more sort of improvements generally speaking and then Mark IV was a huge upgrade. So Mark IV has a a family up on the on the main processor, so it's like it's night and day. We we joke that's infinite memory now, because essentially now we can sign any transaction size. The bottleneck would be the Bitcoin network, not code card. So if you're a miner trying to sign a bunch of small inputs, we can sign it. It it has two secure elements. So it so Mark III right. is yeah. So Mark III is undefeated, right? Nobody ever. So Mark, Mark two, sorry, Mark two, Ledger managed to spend enough money to get in, right? And and it's not reproducible that easy. Anyway, it's very complicated. You, you need a, a million dollar lab, and and you maybe you might screw up the sample. Mark three, nobody has to this date managed to provide us with proof that they can extract the 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 seed, and, and that's like with some heavy heavy resources behind. And then Mark four, we're like, hey. How can we make this extra stupid? So we went with two secure elements and, and this new processor. So it's really cool. And the way we design card is that we don't trust any of the chips. They don't trust each other, right? So even if you found one chip, you cannot get the secret out because the secret is going to be encrypted with a secret that's on the other chip. So now you need one of each. You need three of them. Wait, wait, sorry. Walk me through that. How, how does that work? <laughs> yes. So... Because secure elements are kind of like black boxes in a way, we don't trust them, right? Even though the ones we use, we try to find the dumbest, most secure chip that we could find. So there mm -hmm. is no real software in them. 
is just it's called fixed function silicon. It means that the chip just does the functions that are on the silicon. They don't have firmware. They don't have any of that stuff. So it's a lot better to audit and all those things and a lot less room for backdoors and things. So we don't trust any of them. So we make them have to use a different chip for a shared secret. Oh, interesting. So that, Got it. So, so that if the device is off, nobody can go, oh, if they're known backdoor, say you're like, you know, the NSA, right? You go to the chip and you say, hey, I want to use the backdoor that we put on you, you, you know, on your design. And now they have to have backdoors say, okay. for both chips, yeah. Yeah. No, but now it's three. <laughs> so, and they're from different vendors. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing, I mean, you know, we've talked... We spoke a lot on, on Clubhouse previously, and one of the things, one of the points that you made is that even with all these, these, you know, significant security upgrades, one should approach it or think about it as if, if someone had enough money and they had, you know, a super high-end lab that they could eventually get into one of these devices. Is that, is that still the kind of way that you would articulate it? I, I mean, I, I think we arrived at a point now with cold cards design that I mean, given infinite resources, infinite times, and infinite samples, anything is possible, right? But, but what we do is we raise the cost of attack, we raise the time of attack, and, and we raise the, the failure of attack, mm -hmm. right? Because they only really have one go at each chip because they can break the sample. Yep. Very easily, right? So so now because you have three is exponential failure rate. So it's you know it it, it really becomes a problem. <laughs> so let's go into, you know, even with this, you know, a super secure hardware device. Mm -hmm. uh, one can still lose one's bitcoin, of course. So what are yes. what are the most common ways that people tend to, you know, fuck this up and basically lose access to their bitcoin? I think the main thing is, as I like to say, is most people will screw themselves out of their coins before somebody takes them from them. So, for example, you know, people will have complex backups, right? They're going to, you know, put the backup in a QR or they're going to print it or they're going to make some convoluted self-invented encryption, <laughs> whatever they're going to do. Yeah, do not Don't roll do your that. own crypto, Jesus. No. So what you should do is you get a metal plate. We make a cheap one or go buy it from somebody else and you put your 12 to 24 words there, okay? And and, and you're already ahead of 99% of the people because, you know, house fires do happen. You know, is this 100% proof of house, house fire proof? No, right? It's still a piece of metal that could heat enough and something else could destroy it. But, but you know, if you say, if you put it in your backyard or your basement or whatever, right? Like... It, you've already increased your chances of survivability much more, right? Another thing that you could do is have a passphrase. Make sure. Oh no, did we lose you? I'm saying, hey, we need oh, you I, to... I think we lost I... you for a second. Is there any way you can oh. get to like higher bandwidth internet? Or is this... this... No, I am on, I'm remote on, on, on the internet, satellite internet. All right, sounds good. Keep going though. Yeah, no, so, so if it starts getting choppy, let me know, turn off video. That helps. Okay. And your, your audio is still good. So even with that, the, yeah, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. All right. So uh, Q. Yeah, go ahead. Or go ahead, MBK. Yeah, no. So that's it. Like, so like, make sure you back up, back up in metal. 
if you are concerned about single metal, we did invent a new setup called seed XOR so that you can split the seed safely, not rolling your own crypto, not splitting the seed literally in half. <laughs> so and the idea that. there is that the, the Zor operation is basically a standard, so you can do Oh, yeah. It. I mean, it's it's standard computer programming. And, and you can do it by hand with a PDF. So even if you have a solar flare event that wipes half the Earth, and you are on the, on the unfortunate half, you can still recover with using a, a PDF pen and paper. So Time out. We're going to stop on this topic because I'm so sick of this fun. Can we list between the three of us like at least 10 different things that, quite frankly, like if something were to happen and all of the internet were to shut down, like there are 10 other very vital things that we could very quickly and easily assess that would also be in just as much trouble as... Bitcoin. And I'll even go so far as to say, like all of your finances are fucked. I don't give a shit if you're a Bitcoin maxi or a fiat maxi or fucking Peter Schiff and all your gold. Like you're not going to do anything if the internet's down with all that money. So I just wanted to chime in and say that two cents. Yeah. So, so the, the solar flare event, I mean, one is like for a solar flare to be that strong, the the amount of problems you're going to have are, are ginormous. So all their planes are going to fall. All the, probably the power grid will stop because the distribution is electronic. And some will, might still get a little bit because maybe the box was properly. But you'd have to be so immense amount of power. Let's just assume all the fail safes fail. So water stops, power stops, car stops, pacemaker stop, uh, internet stops. Every, every, everything that you know in your life that is like post caveman stops. Like you can't even run a farm anymore because a tractor will stop unless you have an old tractor. Yeah, it's the least so, of your concerns. Yeah. Your toilet won't flush because it's going to back up because the sewers probably have pump as well. Your like no, your water is awesome. Like, like, no, water but here's the thing. Bitcoin survives because it, the other half of the planet will have a copy of the blockchain. So now you just take a flight from the other side to come pick you up. You take your seat to the other side and you make right, a transaction. Flights don't work. Flights don't work. So how are we getting there, MVK? No, let's, no, let's it does. It does. The other half of the planet will still survive. So it's only half the planet that gets So exposed. I've got to wait for some flights from the other side of the planet to come to over come here. Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. If your amateur radio gear is going to still work because it was powered <laughs> off. Wow. Dude, that was I actually it. have like survival radio equipment that I take when I go backcountry snowboarding. So this is good. Good to know. Good to know that that should be on the definitely take everywhere I go in the world going forward bag. Anyway, so this is actually something like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, as a brief diversion, like talking about, obviously, MVK, you have had broadcast a Bitcoin transaction over ham radio, which is fucking awesome. What is the current state of using like mesh networks to broadcast Bitcoin transactions? I know it's there's very like no similar tenor. to renewable energy. <laughs> Totally fucked. It's a toy. So, no, see, this is the thing, right? Amateur radio, whenever shit happens, is the first thing that comes back online. The, 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 the hams have nothing else to do but to go help people with their gear. It's how half of them justify its existence. So, it, it, it really is there. It's just it's low bandwidth and it's cumbersome, right? 
but but it's it's it's, it's like full on full recoverable it's it's amazing it really is and there is like 50 different modes and all kinds of stuff you know i i can reach japan from over here and i'm very far away from there so so you know all the stuff is doable is just how much pain because it's it's you know low bandwidth and cumbersome that's all got it got it i want to hear your thoughts shifting completely direction we were talking about inflation before you jumped in we're talking about the 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 cpi print today as a Canuck, what is the experience that you're having around the prices of goods going up? How is that affecting oh, you? How is things that affecting you? You can think of Canada as essentially 30% worse than the US, generally speaking, about anything economic. Got it. You, you know, so, so just think about our dollar parity spread, right? The difference that we have. That's, that's normally our, our compounding issue, generally speaking. We do, we, we are a strong exporter of, of energy and resources, right? So even if the country is completely idiotic about not exporting the oil in the proper volumes that it needs to, we still export a lot of crap. So Canadian dollar is still fairly strong. That's why it can be a tiny, a, a, was it like a hundredth of the American economy, a thousandth of the American economy, and still have a currency that's fairly strong. But, you know, and you have strong rule of law and, you know, things like, except from Trudeau wants to put truckers in jail. But aside from that, you know, it's still a solid country, right? With solid people and solid resources. So it's, it's, it survives. It will always survive. But, you know, food is more expensive. It's a cold country. So you have other issues as well that come with that. Yeah. You, you I was surprised. Yeah. Sorry? No, no. Go no keep going, MVK. The, the, the CPI, the CPI, it was kind of, I don't know. They just didn't think further. Like, who cares, right? Just just go and say, oh, it's six or five. Who cares? That is exactly what I was saying before you I mean, you know, like it's... the dollar is already a construct, right? Like it's very postmodernist. So uh, might as well have the CPI be postmodernist as well, right? Just just say the number, meme it into existence, you know? Just keep on saying the CPI is five or four until it becomes five or four. <laughs> That's it. I mean, there, there has to, to be a degree. Stuff. There's a degree of... Like, I do agree with you. Like, they could just very well have just said, like, CPI is five. Everyone shut the fuck up. But the truth is, even 9.1 reading is complete and utter bullshit here in America. Because yeah. that's not, like, when I go fill up gas this morning, it was not 9% inflation from when I filled up last year, excuse me, on July 13th. So, but they, they call that as external. It's, it's because of external effects or whatever. Yeah, right? It's all like, Putin's fault. They, right? they blamed everything but themselves because. And as I said at the very beginning of the episode, you have people grading themselves and being asked to then share with the rest of the world, hey, how was the work that you did that you self-report on? Like, what is the incentive for them to turn around and say, we messed up or even we got it right? There's no incentive either way. So if we want to use P's, excuse me, if we want to use P's logic to like really understand why they do what they do is because there's a degree of accountability that does exist through whether or not you like them or not mainstream media asking these things because the truth is people are upset over it. So they're creating a lot of narratives and dialogues and clickbaity titles that say, Oh, the price of gas is this save money on your grocery trip by doing this or that. So that the information or the idea that inflation is here is in the zeitgeist and 
it would be such a disconnect from reality, which mind you, there is already this disconnect from reality, from what these people in DC tell Americans and the rest of the world of what's going on. There is that disconnect, but it would be such a stark, almost in the vein of the comment of let them eat cake from the French Revolution of it's not my problem. So like, I don't care. Like give them whatever they like. No, that that's for better or worse. Technology has connected us in this way that if we want to hold these people accountable, we can, but for whatever reason, we just don't. Yeah. I think it's an illusion. You can't keep them accountable. It always, Nancy Pelosi is like half a billion dollars now net worth. I mean, there, there is no accountability for the modern, you know, soft socialism state that that exists now, right? Is it is a total and full on kleptocracy? And, and and you know, at least like in Canada, media is fully subsidized by the government, and you also have the state broadcasters. So there is only one narrative, and and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, so so the the majority of the population don't live. Like in in the in the city centers, right? It's 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 almost just slightly less than a half. I think the U.S. distribution is similar, and and people outside major major city centers have a normal life and don't give a fuck about any of the shit that's going on in the world. You know, all this stuff that like we all argue on Twitter or like these things are completely like irrelevant to most people living their lives, and you know. I think it just happens that a lot of us is just a little like hyper connected in a way, sort of like hyper aware of all the issues. And and that creates sort of like this the cycles of like doom and gloom, which also sell a lot when it comes to media, right? You know, there is always bad shit happening in the world, and there is always good shit happening in the world. When when the markets are going down, they only focus on the bad shit. And when the markets are going up, they don't really mention the good shit either. They just don't focus on the bad shit as much. So, like, it's this weird thing where it's like there is very little good news, generally speaking, about anything because nobody really cares about good news. It's it's a weird thing. Good news doesn't sell. It's the inflammatory. It's it's deeper than that. It's just maybe just human interested in things that are not like sounding the alarm on something right we just sort of like take it for granted but i i think just like social media the way that we live now it sort of just compounds this natural ways that we are and, and so does, does does bitcoin fix this or yes okay good that was a test we, it fixes everything so I, I wanna i wanna mvk invite you down to my mother's basement with me and put on your tinfoil hat and i want to i want to share a theory that i've frankly I have never, I've never been disproven on this in the, I came up with this in 2014. So in the eight years that I've come up with this conclusion, I have yet to hear a counter that suffice to say made me change my mind. We in America live in a very religious country. We like to think we have separation of church and state. We do not. I believe if I'm not mistaken, Christianity is the number one religion in the world or Catholicism. I always mix up the two, not really religious, my bad. Either way, there are four signs of the end of the world, as was thought to be by an ex-girlfriend from years and years ago. The first being some sort of natural disaster. Why do you think you hear about a different hurricane every year? Why do you think you hear about the tsunamis? 
That's the first of these four things, natural disaster. The second being some sort of crazy disease. As far back as I can remember, like COVID has been COVID, but dude, is there your, was- Is this your uh, four horsemen bullshit? The new four horsemen bullshit. But yeah, I mean, really it. going back to Egypt there. But, but, but bear with me now. Dude, when I was a kid, like mad cow disease was a thing. I remember not eating a burger for a while because they were like, oh, mad cow disease. Like, I think I was like six. I don't really remember much. I just remember it was a thing. Kretzfeld Jacob will fuck you up. Swine flu was a thing when I was in high school. Like these weird diseases have always been around and yeah. they always are picked up by the media. So again, a little bit weird, a little bit fishy. So that's number two. Number three, I believe if I'm not mistaken, is man fighting another man. So like, that's why like you always hear war coverage. That happens literally every day, everywhere. Like yeah. that's the point. The point I'm trying to make is all of this stuff is happening all the time, but we get it reported to us every single day as though it's like, this is it. This is the one. This is the end of the world. And they keep us interested in all of this information because they give us like the most doomsday scenarios and these religious fanatics and the people who are programmed into buying into this whole the end of the world. This is sort of going to be the the final markers of it. Start to pick up on these clues, whether subconsciously or intentionally. And then they get tied into finding and getting updated more on the latest disease outbreak or the latest natural Here's, disaster. Here is an alternative view of this for you. So religious people actually were the people who fought against the most on, on say, COVID and how COVID was handled. Religious people looked to each other to how they handle things. It's almost like everyone has their cult. And the stronger the religion, the harder the cult bubble, right? So they actually are less impermeous to outside influence of news, in my oh, opinion. That's interesting. So, you know, when you see how all this shit is, is like really sort of like becomes crazy, it really is like the more atheistic sort of uh, city dweller that, that sort of buys in more into the doom and gloom that it is the people, like I was saying, like, for example, in the countryside who don't give a fuck about what's going on. In the, you know, part of the the reason in my view on why sort of like the whole COVID response was this absolute insanity is because, you know, the population asked the politicians to handle it. People were screaming at politicians, telling them to close borders, to do this, to do that, to do masks, to do, you know, it was the people. And because you have things like Twitter and Facebook, you can actually reach the politicians publicly and shame them directly in a big way, so they respond. Way, I I think I feel like the same is true for say, for example, money printing and inflation. Generally speaking, you know, it's the population who wants the free shit. The the, the aristocratic sort of like ultra wealthy class give a fuck either way. They're gonna be fine. So in their view, is like sure, leave the plebs what they want. It's gonna make my assets go up too, but it wouldn't make much of a difference to begin with. So, if if they want, you know, free credit to go buy ten houses, even though they can't afford it, sure, give it to them. It's gonna keep them from killing me. So, you know, the people have a lot more power than they think that they do, and they do exercise the power. It's just they just happen to exercise this power in a terrible direction because of sort of like this this compounding terrible incentives and bitcoin fixes that <laughs> i was gonna say bring it all the way back bitcoin is a religion bitcoin is a cult that, i thought that's the direction you were going i have no issues back. with being a part of a cult 
<laughs> all Bitcoin cult. Hey, great. We were part of a cult. Now, wonderful. No, we follow logic and reason and none of that. Okay, what so is the most what is the most absurd thing Bitcoiners do that even for by your standards, you're like, all right, this is a bit too far, guys. I don't know, man. To each their own. I love that. That's that's the best answer. I think that's true. We may have temporarily lost NBK, but for me, it's definitely sunning one's balls. That's like a thing that the Bitcoin community seems is like super important. I guess it's really like sunlight, but man, there's a huge contingent. It's it's wild. NBK, your uh, your video or your audio oh. is choppy. Oh, maybe it's I, back I missed now. What, where you guys were. Oh, no, we, we said to the to each their comment was beautifully beautifully put. But I I don't like beautiful. I like clickbaity shit. So I'm gonna keep poking at this. Are you, Are you gonna dye your hair blonde? Oh, it's like you read my mind, bro. Damn. Um, yeah. How what you, the fuck was that? How you feel about? I don't want to say I don't want to directly antagonize him, but like, fine on the narrative and the idea of teach their own. It, how do you feel about people who spend time and money both in this space as well as? other crypto ventures i i have this this huge sort of like a fight within myself about like i am a pro freedom person right like i want people to be free to do whatever they want if it is to scam or to create scams whatever right and the market should settle those things it, it it's hard to reconciliate that on on a daily life right like it's like what do you call out what do you don't call out why don't you just ignore it? It's none of my fucking problem, right? That it's I, I don't have a resolution, but that's sort of like the 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 constant the the constant like inner battle of like you know what do you engage with, what do you don't engage with, you know. In a way, it's like I rather the Ethereum guys get away with their bullshit security and then have the state deal with them. But I'm not gonna deny that there's gonna be a lot of shutterfreud of seeing them like going to jail too like yeah, you're gonna be drinking you know, those tears i am i am human right like it's like but but like you know i prefer no regulation and i prefer you know like sort of like these things being handled by the market including with people calling each other out right like one way in which the market resolves that is people screaming about how the other guy is a scammer to advise his neighbors right that he shouldn't do business with him you know, like Vitalik was very crafty on how he always sort of like created his narratives around Bitcoiners. Like the Maxi thing was his invention because he started his Ponzi and we were all calling it out. So yeah, it's it's tricky. Uh, it, we're going to see a lot of people quit Bitcoin all the time. That's, that's just how it goes. It, it's just the, the money is just too sweet in the, in the scam fi. But like, what is money, bro? Like if you're chasing money and you're going to avenues that give you more fiat or more shit coins, like to me, that's just a sign that you don't actually know what money really is. But that's just because I'm an arrogant piece of shit who read Safety's book one time years ago. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's nice to have money, it, 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 you know. Like the, there is only so much stoicism people are willing to have or do. You know, like, I think like flaunting and sort of like going, buying Lambos, but like, you know, having nice things is a nice thing. Yeah, I do think that there is a tendency to like moralize business decisions in the Bitcoin community that I think is 
misplaced. I think, you know, for me personally, and everybody has their own metric, it's about like, you know, not causing harm to other people. I think when people start promoting things that are scams that they, that other people are going to get like totally fucked over, that's really bad. But there is this weird disconnect. Like in the Bitcoin community, it's like, you know, and I, I do it as much as anyone, like screaming at people who, you know, don't follow the the sort of Bitcoin only max. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, it's like, oh, like somebody owns stocks. That's cool. You know, like somebody's like trading, like playing the market. Like everybody's like, yeah, yeah that's cool. Do your thing. So I, there are all these, there's a lot of contradictions in the Bitcoin community that get really old after a while. But well, oh. the thing is, there is no community, right? Like it's like there is no yes. dollar community. Yes. <laughs> There is no gold. No, community. no, no, no. Just, wait, wait. There is I, like self-interest. Yeah, and, and Davos is... proved that there is a dollar community. <laughs> Fuck Davos. I mean, it would have really been Jekyll Island, right? Like it was just a hunting trip. You, you know, if you ever have a chance, oh, read that's the, a great reference. The, 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 what is it? Uh, Most dangerous game. No, the the creature of Jekyll Island. Fantastic book. The yeah, the creature from Jekyll Island. That is an amazing book. It's a fucking tomb. But everyone should read it. I'm not saying I disagree with you, P. I just I want to poke a hole in something that you said, or at least the way you presented it. Because to me, if you ignoring everything you said after the when people start losing money and getting scammed, a lot of the presentation of that sounded to me no different than the way ESG is fed to the masses. This is for the benefit, this is for the best interest of society, for the environment, for whatever subset, whatever group based on the judgment of other people. I just, well, I, I mean, you know, humans need trust, right? It's an inherent human condition. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, it's essentially social efficiency, right? Like you cannot function as a person in society or in a family without trust, right? You have different trust levels, different trust circles, but without it, like you don't go sleep at night with your eyes open in case your wife stabs you because she was mad at you earlier today because you speak for yourself diaper or something, right? Like, so you have trust, right? Like you need trust, you need credit, you need, there's many things you need, right? To, to sort of, to create stuff and, and to live your life. But like the, the, the issue is when sort of like you have essentially this scam artist, right? Like, for example, the, the CEO of Celsius. I mean, like you look at, at like how like they were selling their stuff. Yeah. The guy literally describes a Ponzi. Mm -hmm. He's like, and there's that interview with like Safe and, and I think somebody else and, and Tone. The guy's like, you know, we can pay amazing yields. Look, we take deposits from person A and we give it to person B. Oh, God, I know. And I'm like... I'm like, that's a literal Ponzi. <laughs> it's so fucking bad. I could talk about, oh, the. You know, but the problem is like, you can't save everybody, right? Like, and, and people, people were screaming about Celsius forever. You know, some people are looking for easy money, either because of greed or because they're just unfortunately uneducated. And, you know, like hopefully people learned the lesson, but like people clearly didn't because I think people were still depositing into Celsius to try to. So I. I went into one of the like the those rooms that are like, you know, Celsius Cope rooms. And I actually was like, I was, I came in like, all right, I'm going to take some stuff. I'm going to send out some like fiery tweets about how like, and I ended up just being like, this is so sad. sad. I just left. I was like, Jesus, like these are like real people. Like it's so depressing. But here, here's what I want to do though. Let's shift away from that because it's too fucking sad and depressing. I want to talk, I want to talk more about, I want to choose violence. 
NBK, what are some things that have happened recently that have gotten you very like irritated ex or actually excited? It could be positive too. What's got you excited or furious in the Bitcoin space right now that we haven't yet talked about? Whether technological, uh, new. Oh, I, I mean, you know, bear markets like, like normally bear markets are a lot of fun. Traditionally, you know, like you have a sacrifice, you have the blood moon rises. You know, you have like, you know, people sort of more focused on building and this this bear market has been super cringe. It, it, it's super cringe. And and sort of that that's kind of like annoying. And and so, you know, so we chose violence. We are like, you know, fuck all this shit. We're just going to go build. So we're building a bunch of stuff. And, and and trying to sort of like focus on that. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know. Yeah, it's just like, you know, there's a lot of like bad faith players that came into the space as well, you know, uh, like cold moochers and other other things like that. That's sort of like, you know, it's 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 a bit of a, a it's like. But it's your point. It's a tale as old as time. It happens every cycle. It happens even outside of Bitcoin. It's just a constant. Well, that's yeah, that's that's the cycle. Right. And And, and you know, reality is right. Like Bitcoin was a cozy thing. The last bear market is a cozy, tight, neat, you know, like smaller space. You have, you know, like this different sort of like types of Bitcoiners that do their thing. But, you know, this last cycle became very mainstream, right? So you're going to start having a lot of normies coming in. And, and Matt uh, Damon did that whole commercial, the Super Bowl ad. There you go. He educated uh, people in that commercial. And I think that's just the path. I mean, like Bitcoin is going to grow much more and, and all this this nerdiness around the money, all the, our maxi or talk or orthodoxy and all these things are going to get much more watered down. And because that, that's how things grow, right? They water down, you know, the internet was the same. BBSs were awesome. There was a certain way of being on the internet and, and you know, the internet became, you know, like people sharing pictures of their meals on, on Facebook, right? Like I mean, that's far from like, you know, gifts on BBSs, right? Like, so, so yeah, I mean, it's just, but you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing either, right? I mean, it's just more people using the thing that is meant to be used, right? Like, there, there is no stake on the Bitcoin, like, protocol, right? There's nothing there that says what kind of meal you have to have, what religion you have to have, or anything, right? But if you read between so, the lines of the code, you right? can see clearly, exactly. only eat meat, sun your testicles. I mean, eventually, everybody arrives at that if they if they go the bitcoin route and then i'm not yet that enlightened unfortunately i will say there was a, a space is like i don't know fucking feels like years ago now where i, I was messaging you like bro you got to get in here you know we're, we're talking we're talking cool shit and you were like i'm so sorry i'm busy and you sent me a picture of like your crossbow and you were like i'm hunting moose and i was like <laughs> damn that is a flex <laughs> my parents would never let me have a crossbow but they would let me shoot guns. They were like, crossbows are too powerful. I was like, what the fuck? But actually, but so I want to hear more like, what are, what are you actually, what are you excited about in the Bitcoin space? What new developments, what, what protocol improvements or projects or companies that are, that are out there are, do you think are actually interesting? Yeah. So it, it, there's, there's too much fucking going on in Bitcoin right now. That's why we, you know, even started that, that, that pod like plan. Oh no, we're, we're losing you. Bitcoin view podcast because like i just needed a place to sort of like find a put together a list and go Wait. over what's what's new nvk can you try turning off your camera 
Okay, hang on. Turn off your video. There you go. Is it better? Even your image is pixelated. <laughs> but that is better. <laughs> keep going, keep going. All right. So you were saying you started the podcast. Yes, so that I could keep track of projects. And and you know, this this week, like the the list is monumentally huge. So there is the Fed Mint, which is like a Chamium server thing, so that you can have like, you know, it's different, it's a different type of trust network. Oh yeah. Let's talk about that. So take us through some of those things. So oh, yeah, Fed I, I can't yet. <laughs> I can't. All right, all right. You I need to read yet. more. Right. But but it's essentially just like a like a, imagine like a little network that has a central entity that controls the the system, but but all the transactions are private. Okay. Kind of like a side chain. Let's put it this way. It's not really, but what else? Oh God, I can actually open the list here. <laughs> yeah, do it. I want to. I want to hear from you. Like, hang on. Let's see here. Uh, Two. Q, what's got you super excited in the Bitcoin space? There you go. Got it. Sorry, guys. Did you did I cut off there again? No, you're good. You're good. Keep going. All right. So there's the new BTC server version, Electrum private server version. Oh, Hugo from Nunchuck released a, a video now using TapSigner. TapSigner is our new hardware wallet. It's like a blind signer NFC card. So you just tap and... And you sign a transaction <laughs> in the card. So that's that's really cool. Zoos have a new release. Blockstream is releasing aggregated signatures that are non, non-interactive, which is kind of nice. So that means you're going to be able to do a kind of aggregated signature that you don't need to have the devices all online at the same time, essentially, so that you have multiple signatures between them. Wait, what's, what are the implications of that? So, so far... All the solutions that were around required everybody to be online. Like imagine kind of like a multi-sig, for example, right? Imagine if everybody had to be connected at the same time to do the multi-sig in a group. That's both a security issue, right? Physical security, because now everybody is essentially exposed. You know when everybody's going to have to be signing. And, and then it creates like technical issues, right? Because you have to have the connection between all of the devices together at the same time. So this solution essentially removes the need to be to, to be interactive. So like it's just like each party does their thing once. I don't know if it's in order yet. I haven't read the paper, but essentially it streamlines that. And aggregated signatures, these are semi-aggregated signatures. They help with privacy because you can put a bunch of signatures together. So it looks like one. Also have not read enough there to know to the, what extent they go in that direction because it's semi-aggregated. <laughs> I want to know which part to send me. Yeah, so so like, you know, like, but this is these are all sort of like very cool uh, sort of things. Apparently, Silent Payments, which I have not read much about it, is also out. And, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, OGBTC. He released yeah, a... Marshall. Yeah, Marshall. He released a little board for you to overclock your... Oh, uh, I saw that. Team. Yeah. I'm so That's excited about cool. that. Oh, my God. I mean, dude, the, the list is, is insane here. So... Here's one thing that, that we talked about, we've talked about in the past uh, around Schnorr and Taproot, you know, the recent, you know, uh, upgrade to the Bitcoin protocol. So we talked about the idea of threshold signatures. So, you know, yes. multi-sig being the idea that basically with multi-sig, which we're going to talk about um, a little bit with Craig Raw, you know, we had, you have like two of three signing devices that have to basically sign a transaction in order for, you know, it to be valid and, you know, mine to a block, right? But with threshold signatures, the analogy that you always used was like, you can have less secure devices that basically contribute, let's say, 
less to the, the actual transaction. It's a terrible analogy, but where are we on threshold signatures? Okay, so think about it this way. A standard Bitcoin signature is a is like a is essentially like a a signature in which you're compounding each signature. But think about it this way: you have a piece of cord, and you make three knots on it. So those are the three signatures, and then you toss it to the network, and everybody in the network can see the three signatures on it. Right? Everybody knows what's going on. With threshold signatures, it's more like a pie. So from the outside, it looks just like a pie, a covered pie. Okay. <laughs> I but imagine inside, you just stopping there and being like, it's yeah. a pie, end of story. Yeah, but then inside of the pie, you define the threshold. Is it just a quarter of the pie? Is it a fifth of the pie? And and each part of, of the, the little bits of pie inside can be defined by you as well. So how much a pie piece is sized? So, so the idea is that... A, yeah, so you have essentially like a lot more definition of, of like the size, the weight of each piece, right? And how much of the total do you need? And from the outside, because it's a linear signature now, from the outside, it looks like a single signature. So you don't know that there were 10 signers or one signer. So the idea is that you could have, as I understood it, you could have less secure devices. Like you could, you could use a phone as a contributor to mm -hmm. a threshold signature scheme and you would just give it a smaller slice of that pie. Is that? That's right. Yeah, so that's right. Because to... if somebody gets the little piece, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right? and there's like, you know, if if the pie has to add up to a hundred percent, then you know you'd have. Is it accurate to say that you'd have multiple devices that, in some, would be more than that hundred percent, but essentially sure. you need a hundred percent. Yeah, okay. you, you, exactly. It wouldn't matter, right? Like, but why a hundred percent? Why don't you just make it fifty percent of the pie? It's all you need for making a signature, right? So yeah. for making a valid transaction. So then you can have a phone that's just like a, a third, and then you can have another device that's two-thirds. Say you have a cold card doing two-thirds and a phone that does one-third. So where are we with that? When, when there threshold is, signature? There is no... That's called MuSig instead of multi-sig. And MuSig, I don't think there is a... A spec yet? Let's put it this way: a formal spec yet. It's it's very complicated cryptography. And sorry to put you on the spot, but can you? What is the difference between Musig and Frost? I don't know. Okay, I, 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 I don't. I can't remember what Frost is. Not fair at the top enough. of my head. Got it. All right. Where, where where should we go from here? What else are you? Have you been thinking a lot about in the Bitcoin space? What's come up across your desk that? has caught your your uh, your fancy. I like simple things. So I think that the nunchuck wallet that, that Hugo is making is a big deal because he allows for, if you're old enough in the space, you would remember a wallet called Copay uh, that then got bought by BitPay and then it was destroyed. It's essentially collaborative multi-sig that does not have a centralized entity, right? I mean, you might still use nunchuck server is just a way of of doing the, the 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 message routing between them but it's encryption to it's e2e encrypted and so end-to-end -end encrypted and 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 i think eventually you'll probably be able to run your own server kind of thing between the parties right but having multi-party multi-sig that's like very easy with like just a tapping nfc card is is, is super powerful especially for for small businesses and and sort of like 
decentralized entities, right? Like say for my company, we don't have an office, right? I be Bitcoin Magazine doesn't have an office, if I remember right, either, right? I mean, you guys have a location. No, you know. Nobody's there, right? <laughs> no, no, the team is is huge. And we hate. Let's let's keep pushing this narrative though, because there keeps being this godforsaken reason to force people to show up to the physical office that we have, and I am not a fan of this in any way, shape, or form. Right. What else? Wait, wait. Can you can you define that? You just use a term that I want collaborative to collaborative sure multisig. Yes. Yeah. Can you can you talk about collaborative multisig? What that means and how that is different from traditional multisig? Yeah. So so like technically speaking, is the same, but in practice, the difference is that different people have different keys. So in normal multi-sig, just for yourself, you are the one who have all the keys, right? So you have a key at home, you have a key in a different country, and you have a key, I don't know, like under the ocean somewhere, right? And then if somebody tries to attack you at home, you don't have all the keys, there's nothing you can do, right? But that's just you. Collaborative multi-sig just means multi-party multi-sig, right? So it means that, you know, I have a key, Q have a key, P have a key. If we want to send a transaction, I send you guys a message encrypted in this app saying, hey, I want to send, you know, $10 to this to this dude who has a funny meme, right? And then one of you have to approve it. I mean, saying that is a two out of three kind of wallet, right? But like making that smooth is not easy, right? And then and then there is also like the type that is like Casa or Unchained do where they're essentially just one of the keys, but you're still capable of transacting without them. It's just it's just different variations of who has control of keys. I, I It's a very, very needed thing in business. Like you yeah. have to have an operational wallet that you have more than one person sign and, you know, it's, it's super useful. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. What other projects are like super cool right now? BK, I got a, I got a different question for you if you'll entertain me. So you two are far, far more technically inclined and advanced than myself. And the truth is, as we continue to onboard more and more people, we're more likely to get more people who are like me and less and less people like you and P. I'm a big believer in the 80-20 principle that of 100% of users, 80% will not really understand or know what they're doing, yep. while 20% will understand the nuances. I am deathly afraid of opening my cold card. Not really, but like it's, it's been set aside for a period where I have six hours that no one is going to bother me. So I can actually like really do this properly. At what point are these trade-offs something that we're going to have to really assess to further onboard the masses? And I'm not saying this in a, in a way to say like, you know, cold card suck. Cold card is in my opinion, the best option out there for cold storage. But I also worry that it can- No, I totally get it. So, yeah, no, no, it's, I, it's a very fair representation. So, so in my view, as we move from a few hundred million people using Bitcoin to a few billion people using Bitcoin, first is you can't save the majority, right? Coin is not for everyone. Bitcoin is available to everyone. It's a very different, very, very different thing. The majority of people will have Bitcoin in centralized entities, right? Because you'll be easier, it will be cheaper. And, and it will come with insurance and you will have other sets of trade-offs, right? Is it terrible? Yes, absolutely, right? Is it going to be, you know, a lot of a fraction reserved? Yes, right? Do Are we going to see a lot of them failing? Yes, but it's not going to go away, right? It, it's just, that's just the reality, 
right? Like of, of how things are. You know, the internet used to be a lot more decentralized. Everybody used to run their email server and their, you know, like IRC server and everything. And then even IRC became fully centralized. There's like two massive players and that's it, right? And and IRC never actually further into where it was supposed to go, which was the federated where the servers would talk to each other. It failed that way. So it's just because the friction versus the risk versus the gain are just not there in value, right? Like, because, you know, reality is, you know, through modern history, the majority of the people don't lose their money at the bank, right? Even though there are events, there are, you could be the sucker that does, but, you know, in most Western countries, like people still have their money. I got mine taken in Brazil, but like it's Brazil. So people will make different sets of trade-offs in Brazil. You know, and there is a reason. It's the reason why, like, people put their their money in 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 you know all these yield stupid places where they give you like you know a few percent on your Bitcoin because you know you're getting a few percent on their Bitcoin and they're used to institutions not running away their money in a lawful country, right? So anyway, so so my point is, a lot of the Bitcoin will be centralized. I don't think we can get away from that. That's just reality. I mean, you look at the amount of Bitcoins inside Coinbase, is huge, right? And it's only going to grow. So we should accept, understand that and try to improve that and try to get more people away from that. Now, the other part is how can we make the people who do want to save themselves, who are not necessarily in the 20%, right, in the Pareto principle there, say they're in the 70%, right, or even the 60%, we could we can help them at least with part of their funds. So you know, phone wallets are going to be huge, right? So people are going to have their seed on a phone wallet. The problem is phones are fully fully pound, right? Anyone can can like at the airport they can copy and get into your phone. They stick in a little machine and they'll get your data out. They might not be able to do it right there and then, but they'll send it to a lab. They'll get it out. So so phones, you know, but it's still an improvement, right? Now it needs to be say law enforcement that. That is the one who takes away from you. It's not just some dude on the street, you know. And then, you know, what we're trying to do now with the with a, with the tap signer is, you know, can we make a harder wallet that's sub fifty dollars, so that your phone wallet doesn't have the private keys or it has just half of the multi-sig of the private keys, so so that further improves that and it's just a tap. There's nothing else to do. There's no screen. It's cheap, and you know maybe the the quorum is enough that if you lose it, it doesn't matter. You just send it to a new wallet, start again. And then harder wallets per se, you know, they are improving. The software is improving and getting easier. I don't think they will ever be easy in a way that that like the sort of like the, the straw man of easiness exists because it's similar to a computer or to, you know, you don't run your own email server. If you do, now there's no middle ground between running your email server or not running your email server or you do it yourself and nobody runs email server because they're paying the ass so i think we will continue to happen as large economic actors in bitcoin and a lot of plebs will run their own nodes and continue to self-validate and keep the network in check right because otherwise bitcoin fails miners will a hundred percent run their own nodes because for them it matters even more which fork they're spending their energy into right you know developers will do the same so there is enough incentives for enough people to maintain the network safe and have 
good solutions and you keep on improving the solutions right so like you know cold card offers a certain set of trade-offs but then for example you know maybe you want something that's a little bit easier that you have to trust the vendor then maybe you go to something cheaper like a, a ledger right where it's closed source you're trusting them but you know it's a company with some reputation you can put all the shit coins you want in it right and, and and that's the value proposition in there and, and people do go there i mean it's one of the ones that sells the most but you know should a bitcoiner that have real bitcoin do that no right and 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 people do as they sort of go through the rabbit hole they do instinctively find their way right i always joke that like ledger is my best sales funnel people learn how to use a hardware wallet ledger and then they buy a cold card and then they keep their shit coins on their ledger you know the majority of the people will have shit coins it's not going away. It's only going to grow exponentially from now, right? Because every scammer or every person who doesn't know he's a scammer yet is going to want to create their scam because it's just too easy. Right? It's zero friction scamming. So, so, so those scamming markets will grow too, and and, and you know it will take like you know it took like gold is what like two three thousand years old in terms of like like human history using gold as a store of value right like you know the dollar is is now a hundred so years right actually more and you know i i think it's just more options the world will have more options a lot of options will fail hard in the coming years because of the amount of shit show with you know modern economic theory but the tools and the evolution of Bitcoin tools will follow sort of like a, a traditional sort of way in which technology evolved, like how cars used to kill people by just going over a rock and you jumped out until you figured out you could use a seatbelt and you can have airbags and all this stuff. And now you can go 140 and still not die. You know, like, the, you know, electricity is to kill in your house. Like they have this amazing posters about how electricity kills, right? So, and, and people still don't understand how electricity works. Like most people have no clue how the lamp turns on right so but it does and they trust it so and do they have their own power generation at home no maybe maybe we will and batteries get better but anyways in, in this whole convoluted explanation my, my point is things will evolve as the market requires it you know like we sell to like most bitcoiners right and most bitcoiners have no issues with the device and teaching their families and their kids and their grandparents and whatever, right? Like somehow they all figured out. So I think as the feedback loop in the market improves, you know, new products will come out, we will improve and sort of like just slowly and surely things just keep on going. In this scenario that we're talking about though, will there, in your opinion, ever be a point where Bitcoin that's held by like individuals could maybe trade at or be valued higher than Bitcoin that's held by some third-party custodian if we no. go down some path. No, no, maybe now in scale because of friction, right? And and sort of like the efficiency is not there. Bitcoin is a, is a very sort of like inefficient market still. I mean, look at price discovery. It's two guys in a dog trading right now and they can dunk the price like $20,000, right? No, no, uh, there's three dogs. It's two guys and three dogs. Right, exactly. I mean, nobody's selling. I have not met the person who's selling, right? Like, it's like you look at the volumes of the exchanges, it's pathetic. So it's just like inefficient price discovery, right? So, so yeah, so it's just that I, I don't think if there was 
a difference in price for that same UTXO with the same stallability and the same fungibility, I think Bitcoin would fail. Right. I mean, that, that could be a small premium here and there, depending on the country you're in. Right. But like if you if you just sort of like if you average out. Right. Because, you know, maybe you live in a country where, you know, it's super heavy handed regulation. Right. Against free Bitcoin. Let's put it this way. Uncaptured Bitcoin. So maybe in your country, there would be a premium. But like if you travel to another country to spend the Bitcoin, you'd be normal price. Right. Like it's just it really depends on, on like where you are, but I think he averages out. Q, unless you have any other questions, I think at this point, we'll wrap it, it up. NVK, thank you so much for joining us. I want to give you the last word. Where can people find you? Where can they follow you? And how should they, how should they check out your new podcast? Right. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at, at NVK. You can check out our products on coinkite.com. And uh, yeah, go listen to the new pod. And if you have new projects that you want to highlight it, that's the whole goal of the, this podcast. It, just reach out on Bitcoin.review. That's the domain. Thank you again so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. 